want to welcome everyone to Lakeshore this morning. Those of you that are at Smyrna campus, those of you that are streamlining wherever you may be, we appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, if, I'm sure that Randy would love to be here, but he has had the opportunity to speak at a small convention down in Georgia as a guest speaker, and he will be back next week. Uh, but today, you just got me. And so some of you are going, oh. <laughs> really doesn't matter what you think. I'm standing right here, aren't I? <laughs> Well, that's great to be here today. We're continuing our series on by faith. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. And today obviously is no different. We are the second week of our study. And I tell you what, one of the, one of the things I want you guys to try to remember, that as pastors, we do not take what we speak of lightly. Uh, a lot of times I think people think that because we're a pastor, obviously we get put on a, a pedestal at times. Uh, but pedestals are just for knocking people off, if you ask me. But pedestals are there sometimes, and we have to remember that the things that we talk about, uh, that we have to struggle with as well. Uh, temptation, life events, things going on, things you can't control, things you can't control, uh, it's all part of a pastor's life too. And so when we speak, and like when I speak this morning, it's not just about talking to you, I'm talking with you because I struggle with the same things that you do. Uh, probably more so in some areas. But the, the idea behind us teaching and, and talking, especially about Abraham, is learning from it. If we can't get better in our spiritual walk, well, then what's the purpose? You know, we're here together, like-minded people, to learn about the Lord, to learn about our purpose, to learn about where we belong, and learn about how to tell others about Jesus. And that's where we're at. And so I'm hoping that by the time we're done today that you will understand that this is just a, a, a long lesson, if you will, on, on how to get better in our, our personal journey with the Lord. But we do live in a world where it seems that every time we get ahead in life, something or someone is there waiting to bring us down. You ever feel that way? You get some extra money unexpectedly only to have your car break down. You finally get a chance at a promotion and it looks like it's going to be yours, but someone else gets it. Not only gets it, they're not as qualified as you are. You're ready for retirement. You've been working hard to get to that point in your life, and you have all your money embezzled, and you have no hope of getting it back. A noted pastor, author Charles Swindoll, wrote a book called Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. The idea is that Satan has a way of making us feel that when we are down, we cannot get back up, or he will trick us into thinking that sin just doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want because God's grace will cover you. Bob Russell, um, matter of fact, uh, I'm going I'm to be honest with you this morning. I, I stole a lot of information from Bob Russell. Now, if you don't know who Bob Russell is, uh, Bob, he's, he's one of those guys that you go, okay, just listen, because he started a church. Uh, some of you have heard of his name before, but his church is, uh, that he started was Southeast Christian Church. They now have multiple campuses all over the place and memberships over somewhere over 20,000. So when he speaks, of course, he's speaking from the Word of God. Sometimes you just want to just perk up and listen to him. And so, so Bob Russell has some really good things to say. And one of the things that he said was, our faith is both, both a gift and a growth. It's a gift because it was given to us at no cost through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it also requires us to grow into maturity. And through that process, we tend to take three steps forward and two steps back. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
Now, we see this demonstrated all throughout Abraham's life. The first part of Abraham's life was a great display of faithfulness. It was by faith that he believed God would give him a son, even though that he and his wife were very old at the time. It was by faith that he believed that God would provide a lamb to take his son's place as a sacrifice. It was by faith that Abraham believed that God would make him the father of many nations. But later in Abraham's life, we see a relapse of faith. Now, this is something that we all can relate to. We all have struggles. We all have times where we doubt. We all have times where we believe that there might be a better way than God's way. And, or we think we know better than God's way. But we see this relapse in Abraham's life. We're going to read the account found in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12 and hold that in readiness, starting with verse 10. And then we're going to see if there's anything that we can learn from it and then apply it to our faith. By the way, just because you are a person of faith does not mean that you will not experience trouble. Does not exempt you from hardships or trials. Abraham did exactly as God instructed throughout his life, did he not? Yet we see in Genesis 12 a slight change. A horrible famine, if you read, we're going to start in verse 10. A horrible famine hits the land of Canaan. Now, Genesis 12:10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram, now I'm going to probably jump back, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'll probably jump back and forth here. His name is Abram at the time, but I'm so comfortable saying Abraham like we all are, so I might say Abraham. So afterwards, when you shake my hand or something, don't say, hey, his name was Abram. Okay, we got that. His name is Abram. His wife's name was Sarai, but really Sarah. So if I flip back and forth, just know that's just my brain. Okay. But Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So severe that Abraham had to move his entire family and all his belongings to Egypt in order to find food and water. Now this seems logical for Abraham. In his land, famine, no food. Egypt, plenty. Or so it seemed. You have no food, so you go to a place where there seems to be plenty of food. Egypt has rivers flowing through it and lots of vegetation. So yes, that is where you're supposed to go if you have a large family, which Abraham did, many mouths to feed. Here's the problem. And here's the problem that we have, I think, sometimes in our own lives. God did not instruct Abraham to go to Egypt. Sounds like Abraham may have experienced a little doubt in his life. You follow God's instruction and be obedient, three steps forward. Do it your way, two steps back. And now we see that Abraham runs into a dilemma. Abraham decides to deceive Pharaoh and other Egyptians by convincing Sarai to tell them that she was Abraham's sister, not his wife. All because of how beautiful Sarai was. Now, I know about you. I'm going to stop here for just a little sidebar. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. I'm going to say it. Um, I, I outkicked I out my coverage. I get it. Um, but I'm just the opposite. If I've got a beautiful wife on my arm, I'm showing that off. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to go and get to tell me you're my sister. But you understand where Abraham's coming from once you get to his time and, and place. You know, he's, he's, he's scared. So Abraham was convinced that the Pharaoh would have him killed and would take possession of his wife. Verses 11 through 13 says this. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. 
Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now Abraham was willing to sacrifice his wife's virtue in order to save himself. So when we get into situations that, that test us, what happens? Do you stick with your faith or do you fall back? But Abraham was willing to sacrifice his wife's virtue just to save himself. Now, some of you may know, based on Abraham and Sarai's history, that Abraham really only told a half-truth because Sarai was actually his half-sister, but also his wife. Now, some of you that are thinking that's kind of crazy and stuff, just we can have a history lesson later on and tell you how normal that was back then. But let's not forget that a half-truth is still 100% lie. And lying is used to mislead. It is said that there are two ways to lie. To falsify, obviously, but also to conceal. So yes, concealing the truth is a way that we can mislead. And Abraham's deceitfulness is working at first. Let's go on to verse 14. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So you see, the plan is working. Abraham thought he was correct in what he was thinking. The plan is working. Abraham's life has been spared. He has received a king's ransom, all because he has allowed Pharaoh to marry his sister. Let's not forget that the original reason for Abraham going to Egypt was just for food and water for himself and the rest of his family. Later, realizing that his life could be in danger, came up with the plan to save himself, not anyone else. An obvious relapse of his faith. Do you think Abraham thought it was worth it? Was getting all that stuff worth it? When we have our moments of relapse, are the reasons why we have our relapse, do you sit back and think, was it really worth it? Bob Russell also quoted saying, material wealth is not a good thermometer of our spiritual condition. Let me say that again. Material wealth is not a good thermometer of our spiritual condition. Adversity does not mean that God is displeased with you, but prosperity does not mean that God is pleased with you either. In Luke chapter 12, the rich man had so much food that he couldn't fit it all in his barns, and Jesus called him a fool. Now, about this time, you can imagine, if Abraham's anything like you and me, he's starting to go through a little bit of mental anguish here. He's starting to realize that the consequences of his actions and is probably starting to feel a little bit bad. I would. That's, and so would you. People of faith usually have that kind of reaction. When you do something bad, it's a thing called guilt. There's an old dessert commercial that was on TV some time ago. It's very popular. But its catchphrase was this. Total indulgence, zero guilt. There may be some desserts that can claim that, but there is no sin that can. A person of faith who indulges in sin will have a measure of guilt. Abraham, I believe, is starting to feel a little anguish from the guilt of his sin. Abraham received all his gifts based on a lie. He gave his wife away, and he did it to save himself. Now, part of his anguish was probably starting to think, was Sarai okay in that palace? 
Maybe, maybe not. He didn't know, but he did know that what he did was not the right thing. Now, there's good news here. Uh, We do find that in the book of Esther that there is a mandatory waiting period before Pharaoh was allowed to get married. So Sarai was not married yet, but Abraham had to wonder how she was and was everything okay. And then it happened. As it always does in, in people's lives when you do bad things, your sins usually find you out. Let's move down to verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. Now we never know how Pharaoh found out, what made him put two and two together, but he did. And not only that, was able to connect all the diseases to Abraham and his deceit. Notice in the scripture that it, didn't, it says that it was not all of Egypt that was inflicted with disease. It was only Pharaoh and his household. And after Pharaoh found out, he could have had them all killed or at the very least punished for what they had done. Instead, he sent them on their way, way away. Abraham, Sarai, along with everything and everyone that was with him. Now, Abraham's deception was exposed, and yet God still protected him. So, I've done this very long introduction just to get us into, I believe, some things that we can do together that's going to help us out a little bit, help us all out a little bit. So what lessons can we learn uh, from this account of Abraham's life? The first thing I think that we can learn, if you look at your outlines, is that a person of faith will be tempted. Now, before I, you know, it's, it's easy to say, um, and I think people are, are wrong when they think this, that they think that if you're tempted, that that's the sin. No, uh, even Jesus was tempted. It's when we give in to the temptation that it becomes sin. So don't get those two things confused. Uh, the unfortunate thing for Abraham is that he did give in, but he was tempted. So when the pressure was on, Abraham was tempted, and then he came up with the lie. No matter how strong you are in your faith, the allure of the world is strong. No matter how strong you are in your faith, because of the allure of the world, it is tempting. It could be a lie. It could be sins of the flesh or an attitude. And you have to battle this. Guys, this is something you have to battle for your entire life. Just because we go to church doesn't mean that we're exempt from being tempted. Matter of fact, it's probably quite the opposite. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. It's a constant battle. A former student of mine uh, moved back to Nashville after being in, uh, gone for a, several years. And uh, when I found out that he was back, I arranged a time to meet up with him and catch up over uh, a cup of coffee. Now, he lived a good distance away, but offered to come to my side of town to hang out. The time was going to have to be very early because of his schedule, and, and I agreed to meet him at that time. Well, the day came for us to get together, and uh, because of me getting my daughter ready at school and all these other kind of things, I forgot. I didn't write it down. I forgot. Now, uh, I want you to know, uh, 
I got a phone call. Obviously, when somebody doesn't come for a meeting, you get that little phone call and you look at the ID and you go, and, and, and I want you to know that in the 10 seconds that I saw that ID, all the lies that came into my mind <laughs> that I was going to tell him about why I didn't make that meeting. Now, I'm not kidding, man. I had, I had wrecks. I had thing. I mean, plumbing. I had the whole thing in my, but when it came down to talking to him, I, I couldn't lie. I said, man, I, I forgot. And I owned up to it. But it's easy. The allure of the world is easy because it's, it's so much easier to try to get away with something than just to focus on the truth. Because that's the strength of the world at times. And I want you to know, a person of faith will be tempted. Imagine what we might think in situations like this when we realize that it could actually cost us something. The allure of the world is strong and a person of faith will be tempted. Another lesson I think we can learn from Abraham is that a person of faith will sometimes fall. Abraham was not only tempted, he gave in and he sinned. He fell. You are all part of the family of God when you give your life to Jesus Christ. But inevitably, no matter who you are, you are going to fall. But as you mature in Christ and trust him with your life, you're expected to fall less. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A person of faith will be tempted. It happens. But also a person of faith will sometimes fall. But there's a greater lesson that we can learn from this, from Abraham, is that a person of faith can also recover. Abraham was given another chance in spite of his deceit. Maybe some of you in this room right now are living in your own metaphorical Egypt. You went there for the right reasons at first, but you feel overwhelmed now by the allure of the world. Not paying taxes, letting your marriage disintegrate, lying or gossiping about other people. You're looking for a way to recover. Look at what Abraham did to recover. He went back to Bethel. Now, Bethel is the place where he first built his altar. And then it says in verse 4 of chapter 13, he called on the name of the Lord. It was obvious that the first step to recovery was to repent. And that's what Abraham did. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, If you have forsaken the love you had at first, consider how far you have fallen. Repent. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. We have forgotten our first love. Now, sometimes when you ask people this, you know, they, they try to think back in their high school days, their first love, or they, you know, when they were in elementary school. Yeah, I remember my first love. That's not what we're talking about here. The first love is that love of God. And the reason why we have laps of faith at times is because we forget about that first love, how much we were willing to sacrifice in our relationship with God. So how do we get back to our first love? Well, obviously, the first thing we do is start getting back to church regularly. We start reading our Bibles regularly. We start singing the songs we go to the fellowship times. We have the small groups. We do those things that are going to help us restore, be truly restored. A good example of being restored comes to us in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. The son demands his share of his inheritance, which would put him in a bad light with his father to start with. But the son then leaves his father's house, squanders his inheritance, and ends up poor eating pig slop. Now, while finishing up a nice bowl of slop, he remembers that his father's servants eat better than this. So he decides to go back 
and asked for forgiveness and offered to work as a lower servant for his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Upon seeing him, the father favored his son once more, or rather, never stopped favoring him in the first place. The father cause for celebration can be seen in the last sentence. He says, we had to celebrate because my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Although we may focus on our own failures, God takes our past and he throws it in the deepest part of the ocean and he never looks at it again. I want you to look at yourself now. Look at what you're doing now. Maybe the failure has given you a technical or a teachable spirit, and now you can be restored. We learn from our mistakes, don't we? Or at least we should. So, a person of faith will be tempted. A person of faith will sometimes fall, but a person of faith can recover. And then the final lesson we get out of this account of Abraham is a person of faith is always better off if they don't fall. I know it sounds very profound, but let me tell you what I'm talking about. This statement is to make sure that we take our sin seriously. Yes, everyone sins, and yes, it's safe to assume that the young will want to sow their oats, quote-unquote, because that is what is expected. But I say it is better to have never fallen at all. You hear of stories where famous people, athletes, actors, musicians, tell their, their, uh, their stories of living their lives full of sin, promiscuous living, Drugs, abuse, or alcohol. Uh, and after years of living this way, something changes in them. And then they, they find uh, who Jesus is and they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they change. They're out of that stuff. And then what happens is, is that these same people, they get on the circuit. They travel to all these conventions and these schools. And they tell their life, uh, to tell about the lives they had and, and, and their sin and how God saved them. And even though we need these stories and we need them to do this, I'm, I tell you what, I'm more affected by the person who comes up to me and says that they were tempted in every way and they did not sin. Because that's a testimony. It's always better if you don't fall. And don't forget the scars that our sin can cause. We could hurt our reputation, our family reputation. We could hurt the church. Or more seriously, we could hurt the name of Christ and demolish our witness. Abraham even showed as a person of faith that once you sin, it's easier to do it again. In Genesis chapter 20, he repeats the Sarai is my sister deal all over again for his own life. He does it again. The only difference is we find between the two accounts is that in Genesis 20, after he was caught in his lie, he actually tried to use the excuse that Sarai was actually his sister. Half-sister. Abraham fell once from his lie, and he did not learn. Would have been better to have never fallen at all. You've heard the saying, the sins of the father will revisit the son. Well, I don't think this means what we think it means, to be honest with you. Most people would subscribe to the sins that the father commits as are paid off, if you will, in the lives of his children. If daddy messes up, the kids are going to pay for it later, in a physical or maybe in a spiritual way. I believe it has a more spiritual significance, but more in line with when daddy sins, his children sees his example, and if something isn't done to change it, the children will follow the dad's example. 
Look in the life of Isaac, Abraham's son in, in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac stayed in the land that God told him to. And after being there for some time, guess what happens? The men of the village came and asked about his wife, Rebecca. Why? Because she was beautiful. Isaac, without any hesitation, said, oh, you mean my sister? Where do you think Isaac learned that? He wasn't around when his father did that the first time. I'm sure there was lots of stories told, the legend of Abraham. But without hesitation, you mean my sister. Isaac's son Jacob lied to his brother to obtain his birthright. Ten of Jacob's sons lied to him about Joseph, saying he had been torn apart by wild animals, when in actual he had been sold into slavery by his own brothers. Where did they learn this? Now God forgave Abraham, but his sin was revisited on his third and fourth generation. It would have been better if he had never fallen at all. This is why we need a perfect heavenly father. Because the earthly fathers are not perfect and they're flawed. So I want to encourage everyone here this morning to put their faith in the perfect heavenly father who will never, ever fail you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the blessings you give us each and every day. We thank you for the lessons we can learn by the examples of our forefathers. And hopefully, Father, that we won't revisit our sin, that we will learn from our mistakes so that we don't pass it down generation to generation, that we become a bold vessel to be used by you, to be a light in the darkness and to spread the word, the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son. And Father, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning who needs to be restored, they will step up and step forward and be restored. It's as simple as looking to you, Father, simple as just claiming the name of Jesus. And we pray for that in Jesus' name.